Hey, what up, though? It's Jay Hall, and not only today's conversation do we have a walking legend, but I'm very excited because it's my 313 friend, Jamel Hill. We're going to talk about the election process, all things Detroit, of course, and the future of HBCU sports. So kick back, get yourself some knowledge, and without further ado, let's get into it. Hey, friend. Hey, what's going on? You know it's black people. we got to be late, right? <laughs> I was just yapping, just like black with barbershop. Like, I was just... <laughs> What's up? Oh, I, was, I was just like, you like, one more minute, I almost forgot why I was here. I was just like... Because <laughs> you had some things you needed to get off of your chest. I get it. It's, it's been a week. How are you? I'm good. It's just, you know, these times when uh, it's like a big news event or big things going on, it's like, that's the more hectic, as you know, being in this media space that our lives get. So it's like, you know, between um, doing podcasts and tapings and this and that, it's just like, okay, I get it. Uh, America's a little bit panicked right now because everything that's going on. Everything. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting time, to say the least. But uh, happy to be here. Happy to kick it with you, you know, especially with somebody that's from the D because we just stood up for them. (laughs) I mean, listen, I was like, I was trying not to be humble about it, but we came in. (laughs) When especially when I saw they put Wayne County, yeah, like Wayne County never gets a shout out. I was like, never. <laughs> I was like Wayne County. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's why you knew it was real. But I, um, I'm sure you had this feeling too. Like I'm just like super proud of Detroit because yeah. you know it's a city that gets a lot of flack. Um, it's over overlooked. It's an afterthought. And even though you know, I think this reputation is not the same when maybe we were growing up. I say I, since um, I'm nine thousand years old and you're considerably younger. Um, um, I'm only like four points off you on the scale. You're like four <laughs> points off. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So even though that, it, it, even though that's the case, it's kind of like it felt good to see the city kind of get recognized for yeah. something positive, for like voting and everybody getting out and. Um, you know, even amidst all the uh, the the frightening element of people, you know, trying to intimidate and harass ballot counters, it's just like, all right, it kind of felt good to see the city getting some props. Yeah, I didn't know what I had to Google. I didn't know what TCH Hall was. Okay, yeah. me and my friends had this conversation. I was like, oh, they changed Como. I was like, how are you going that long? Yeah. Exactly. I like. I had no idea that they had changed the name of it. And a friend of mine who lives there still was like, "Yeah, they uh, they renovated it a while ago." And I was like, "Oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know that." <laughs> so, in the most pleasant way, I want to say, those of us that are natives from the city, when I discovered that they were at Cobo Hall, I was like, "Yeah, they're not gonna be down there long." <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. That's literally. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I mean, but they look. They had they gone. Like two miles east. Just, just uh, <laughs> it might have been something different. And if you know where it's set up, the way it's designed, you can't drive past that and not know what's going on. Right. Especially like on Jefferson. So no, they yeah. were, they 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 were, they were smart. They were acting like they were crazy, but they knew. Yeah. Before we um, got on and started our conversation, I saw that um, there's apparently another group from out of town on their way to downtown Detroit to to prove what I don't I don't know. God, God bless you. Yes, that's, that's what I was saying. I would say, God bless you. Hope you take a wrong turn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come up on Boston. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Mess around and be on Mac and Beaver. Yeah. Have you been taking care of yourself with this election? Like, giving yourself some time? You know, um, it's, it's funny because I actually uh, spent a couple of weeks out the country 
Um, and I just got back on uh, late Saturday night. I was in Croatia for two weeks because um, I needed a vacation <laughs> mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few countries um, that is actually accepting Americans. <laughs> okay. Know? Right. Yeah, um, we're, we're like Atlanta internationally. Like nobody wants us to pull up. Nobody. Right. But it is, it is definitely um, some restrictions to it. Like you have to have a negative COVID test within 24 hours. Uh, you have to quarantine for seven days once you get there. You know, it's a lot of stuff that you have to do. So um, went there, was able to rest and relax for a little bit. And as soon as I got um, back here, it was like, oh, snap, it's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was like right back into the fray of it. So, yes, I had taken some self-care. But then, you know, now it's now it's uh, fighting for democracy. <laughs> You know, I always tease you about when you be taking your trips off to places that I can't really pronounce. But I am happy that you was taking care of yourself, you know, because I know you be running. So, because I, I felt like even giving you an intro was almost disrespectful. Like, Jamil Hill, this, this, like, you know, she got jobs. Like, <laughs> like, it I, wasn't that disrespectful. <laughs> no, 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 you, you earned it. But it was just like, yo, you just been so amazing. People don't know um, what you've been to me. But, you know, being a voice, I, I was so happy you drew the line and seeing who you was voting for. Because there were so many of these voices that were trying to act like they were in the middle as if this was like a thought. And I was so, when I, I wrote in your comments, I was like, I'm so happy you just like saying where you are. Because this is not something to be thinking about, you know. And so I didn't get a chance to go out of town like you, but I was enjoying myself. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> not the good old better babes. Oh, you know, snap. Before yeah. we kick off, you know, I was enjoying myself. <laughs> I ordered these so they can show it right. I'm down to like two bags now. I had a whole box. I'm done. <laughs> Wait, so did you actually go to the D or did you? I had, you know, I, you know, I went online and did the better bag. You got it online? Got it. Okay. I used to order them online too. <laughs> yeah, I, that's exactly what I did. The box showed up at my house and I was, I was, I was good. Yeah. I was good. Well, I mean, the, the thing is though, is like, I was intentional about saying like who I was voting for because of course, as there should be, there was a lot of positive messages about everybody vote, everybody you know, get registered, get involved in all those things. But the um, the thing is, is that, you know, let's just keep it 100. It's like, it didn't matter who you voted for. <laughs> so it's like, you kind of have to say as an yeah. addendum. And oh, by the way, vote against. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. It's not that difficult. Um, before we even start, my sisters are both on here. And you know, they are both Spartans. And they will kick me in my tail. <laughs> if I don't say congratulations, not only on being a Spartan, but on dominant or beating Michigan. You know, I was yeah. about that. Yes. And I'm a I'm, fan, but shout out to you. My sister Megan is on here. And she's like, <laughs> ah, I'm going to rep when she get on. Like, you know, so. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what I'm talking about. Because, look, you want to talk about unexpected gifts? That was, <laughs> that was what? Hey, I, I keep it a book. I wasn't even watching because I didn't feel like that. I, I saw the score come up on my phone. And I was like, oh, snap. Like. Yeah, well, uh, I was on the plane back from Croatia when the game was going on, and um, I should have known that something good was going to happen because it seems like whenever we win, I'm on a plane. And the last, oh. <laughs> the last time I was when that happened was the the infamous kick six. So um, yeah, so I saw that like, live. <laughs> well, I saw. Well, here's the great thing about it is that my connection was in Detroit, and I immediately got like ran off the plane it was a it was like a bar next to the gate everybody was crowded around and i got there as soon as the um the the pun happened i got there as soon as it happened and i was like oh 
and it was like going crazy. That was amazing. That was super amazing. Um, one of the reasons for me, the reason why I want to pull you into this conversation, because I think it was, I know it was you and I think Chris Broussard was one of the first ones talking about how college players or high school players should use their power mm -hmm. to go to HBCUs. And I, you know, you wrote the piece for the Atlantic. What was it that sparked you to say, okay, I'm about to put this in print. This needs to be officially said, said, and you went into some great details by the way, on that. I was rereading that, and man, you get you dropped some knowledge. What what sparked that in you? Well, I appreciate you saying that, but um, you know, the main thing was that it, it, it's it's funny because like I, I started at the Atlantic in October of 2018, right? So I was fresh off of ESPN, and when I was meeting with um, you know two of the top editors there, they asked me about you know give us a list of like five pieces you definitely want to do while you are, you know, while you're writing for us. And that was one of them. So in 2018, I, I really started thinking about it. And, I, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think if this is something that triggered me thinking about it, if it's something that kind of jarred it. But I think it was just looking across the landscape and seeing that there was, you know, college players have a lot more power than I think they actually know that they have. Um, I would say that about black people in general. Right. <laughs> you know, but because, uh, you know, I think about it in our country, we don't make a whole lot of things anymore. But the one thing that we, you know, obviously can produce is athletes. We can produce pop culture and black people have a dominating presence in both. And so I was thinking, looking at the about the thinking about the history of HBCUs and knowing the original mission, knowing what they continue to mean to our community and seeing how um, many of them have struggled over the years in terms of funding and um, awareness, like all of these things. I just, even though it's a lot of press, a lot of pressure to put on a kid, to put on somebody who is making a monumental decision, a selfish decision as they should be. Um, I just wonder what that world would look like if we saw a lot of the top tier athletes in basketball and fo football return to HBCUs and try to reestablish what was a very prominent and dominant athletic tradition, which a lot of us, you'd be surprised, a lot of us actually don't know that. Um, I, I wouldn't say the majority, but it's a significant a number of us that do not know what the legacy and the history of HBCUs are. Yeah, you know, I, I went to Howard and I didn't know until I read your piece how dominant HBCUs were before the Brown versus Brown education, 1954. And I'm not trying to quote someone directly, but someone said that there might have been a time where HBCUs might have thought that it was going to have that forever. You know, the, the no, that was that was that's right because I think it was it was Bill Roden who said it in my piece. He said that is that part of the reason why he felt like and on top of segregation or integration rather, sorry, on top of integration, what he um, what he thought was that nobody could have predicted that athletics would become as important as they became in our culture. And to some degree, the HBCUs kind of took it for granted that this is always going to be here. We're always going to get this treasure trove of athletes. And so they didn't necessarily build institutions around having prominent sports programs, which a lot of colleges didn't. They were not unique in this. And they also never thought that white universities would ever start to recruit black athletes the way that they did. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was it was kind of a, a, a miscalculation on their part because they didn't know the product that they really had. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that. Fast forward to what we were just talking about with the election and with the climate, you know, conversations been coming up about white supremacy and all these other things been coming up with the the guy who's currently sitting in the White House up the street from me that doesn't want to be <laughs> And his, not for long, though. <laughs> not for long, right? And, you know, his um, his standby and all that other stuff. What do you think HBCUs fall in that spectrum with all this conversation of that? Well, I mean, I think right now, I mean, HBCU is about to get a, a hell of a um, commercial because you got Kamala Harris, you know, you're, you're Howard alum. I was going to let you say it. Yeah. <laughs> Look, first of all, it, it's two people. It's two, it's two facts that are going to be repeated so much over the next four years. The fact that she went to Howard and the fact she's an AKA. You ain't going to be able to tell either one of y'all groups of people nothing. Nope. I don't blame you for nope. sure. No, nope, not at all. Um, take pride in that. But I think, I mean, even with um, some of the struggles economically that HBCUs have had, they still, I believe, produce like 40% of, of black professionals. And so they're still very much an entrenched part of um, our culture. And so, um, you know, what I would what I would say is that we can't lose sight um, of the fact that even with integration and, of course, black people can go wherever they want and all these other things, even with that, that if we don't have um, a society that really takes care of HBCUs, if we don't maintain that mission, despite whatever the world looks like, then it's a huge blow for our culture. When you think about the benefit it can be to, like, go to HBCU, in previous decades, what was the benefit back then that people may not be knowledgeable of? Well, I mean, people have to understand that HBCUs was the only place that we could turn. Like, there was full-on segregation in this country. We were not allowed to go to the University of Georgia's and the Michigan states where I went. We weren't allowed to go there. So as black people often do, you know, our, our unofficial slogan is make a way out of no way. And that no, and that, that way became to have historically black colleges to build our own schools so that we could educate ourselves, which is why it's so important that we kind of maintain, um, you know, that sense of self-reliance and uh, personal responsibility and of making sure that we take care of our own. So that was the original mission and, and why it started. You know, white people, um, white society had no interest in educating us. And so we had to do it ourselves. And from that was born, um, you know, a black middle class and a black upper class and and um, an ability for us to kind of rise or have some form of social mobility. It was not perfect, clearly, but it was a way that we could do that. And what happened was, you know, was integration. And uh, this has been a conversation that's pretty funny um, that people have talked about over the years. You know, Bill Roden, who, as you know, wrote $40 million Slave, that was kind of a a thesis in his book of integration really robbed the black community of its best. That's not to say that we're not still, you know, great at what we do, but it sucked out all the talent it sucked out everything that made us and made our communities unique and special and put it elsewhere. And so suddenly, uh, I think what we, um, and even Martin Luther King Jr. talked about it, is that we mistook integration for equality. And that is not what happened. And so, uh, you know, seeing um, what the mission um, for HBCUs, um, even though I, I didn't go to one, um, 
you know, I still think that, uh, that they should be, you know, fully supported and, um, I support anybody who goes to them, but, um, you know, the, the reality is that they have just provided, they've been such a foundational element to us as a culture, uh, that we need to understand what the history looks like. And for that matter, um, what the future looks like. Cause I mean, we, we don't even talk about HBCUs, like there's something of the past and, uh, that, that mission is still just as important today as it was in the 1900s when they were first starting to get established. Yeah, when we was coming up, I definitely remember the sale for a lot of athletes was you want to go to a big college because they're on TV all the time. You know, Duke is on TV all the time, Notre Dame mm-hmm. is on TV all the time. But like in this new social media era, like a lot of these kids don't know, they don't even watch, you know, live TV. They're about social media no. and marketing themselves and things of that nature. Is that sale still the same? Like, how can the HBCU, you know, Gives, what's the incentive for someone to say, I'm going to choose HBCU? Because don't get me wrong, yes, Duke is still a powerhouse, but I mean, if you got 1.5 million social media followers, you can take them with you anywhere. <laughs> you know, I, I wish, I, I would love for college athletes to think about it this the way LeBron did, right? Wherever LeBron goes, he's the market. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Miami, Cleveland, he go to Des Moines, he'd be the market. Right. We're going to still watch. You know, I know he's in L.A. now. So um, obviously this is a huge media market. So there's clearly some inherent advantages with that. I think they have to start thinking of themselves that way because social media has made the world smaller in a good way. Uh, as you mentioned, especially with us being able to have access to so much information like you could come out of high school and you definitely could have a million social media followers or 600,000 Instagram followers. And you could take that with or just kind of I think they were just kind of under this impression that the schools made them and not the other way around mm-hmm. it's like you mean to tell me if zion williamson hadn't gone to howard that espn wasn't gonna cover it like right. <laughs> it gonna go right you have to go where the where the talent is and um i just hope that they are able to look at this from a much more big picture way it feels like they're getting it it feels like that they understand marketing and branding and that they should be asking and for those things on their own terms because I do think LeBron has showed even younger athletes a model. Um, but, you know, I, I think for HBCUs that the pitch has got to be the opportunity to, to do something unique and special. And I know it's not fashionable to necessarily think about community when you're 18 years old because Lord knows I didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you should be thinking that way is that, you know, Black people, as we see from this election, we have – always been about the greater good because we've always had to be um i'm reminded of something that nicole hannah jones who was behind the 1619 project for the new york times that she told me when we did a podcast together is that black people are the most inconvenient people because we actually remind this democracy that they have ideals that they have to live up to that we're the ones that are the reminders that we will call you on your stuff because you haven't always treated us like you say in those flowery little words and language in the constitution. So we are inconvenient reminders for people. And so I would say, um, you know, to black athletes, you have to keep that in mind is that, Hey, there's a bigger mission out here. That's not just about you and your talent. And that may not be the most fair thing to put on a kid, but nevertheless, it's the thinking about the greater good that will uplift all of us, but it's a rising tide lifts all boats. Got to be that rising tide. Yeah, you're right, because, you know, they like to take the little small part of MLK speech about <laughs> little black boys, little black girls, little white girls playing together yeah. and stuff like that. But when you 
read or watch the entire speech, he talked about a check mm. that you didn't cash, you know, and you write about us. We are always going to remind you about your contradictions. And yes. We are faces, who we are. We can't escape this. And even though they tried to romanticize that speech, those words still rang true to what you just said. You know, we seem to have always kind of had spikes, just like in our culture. Like, you look back on um, the 80s, you had all these TV shows like 227, Amen. You think about in the 90s, well, 80s to the 90s, Different World, which is pretty much Howard and everything. And school I mean, the different, you know, there's just a, a moment about the different world. We are talking about HBCUs and, and just how they've been, um, you know, just how they've been characterized throughout the years. It's like, I didn't, you know, growing up in, in, in Detroit, I don't know about you, like, how much did you hear about, like, HBCUs? Yo, so I was getting to that. I used to okay. watch Different World, and I did not know it was about a black college. All the adults <laughs> around me didn't say nothing. And people think I am lying. Like, I had a homegirl from Spelman who was like, that's not possible. She, you grew up in Atlanta. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. Like, my yeah. mom looked at Dorothy. You remember, like, <laughs> trade school? <laughs> like, I thought it was just black people hanging out and Lisa Bonet left. It wasn't until I started watching reruns when I got older, and I was like, it's a black college? Like, I was by myself. Well, but there. but you know what? I can understand why you thought that, because let's, let's not forget what the first couple seasons of Different World looked like. That's when they had a Oh, I'm just now. That first season was a struggle. That was first season. You had no idea. No. They had white people all in the mix. You're like, oh, okay. It was white people in the Wayans family. That was all through season one of Different World, when you go back and watch it. And, and half the living color cats. Right. That's that's what was there. Do you think we need that for when it comes to like HBCU sports? Like, do we? I remember BET used to show football. Oh, yeah. Yep. But that didn't last long. Do you think we need something like that, like a revamped version of a new generation to build an interest in HBCUs? We do. And we have to build one that's kind of like distinct from just entertainment. You know, I've been to the CIAA tournament. Okay. So it's like, that has a certain brand of being like, oh, it's a tournament, but we're going to party. Or even like the, the black college games that would come to the D or whatever. I think, what was it, like the Motor City Classic or something yeah. like that? Yeah, right? the Kwame era. The Kwame. <laughs> he did bring that. He did you know I got to get you with that. Like, you know, he, did. he did. He did. He did bring that. So even when we were, you know, even when those games come up, it's always built around the social element. Like, we're going to hang, we're going to party. And we've got to make it mean a little bit more. I mean, I'd love to see um, a deeper commitment. I know ESPN has made a, a, a reasonable commitment to, you know, HBCU football and broadcasting certain games. But, I mean, you would think now with today's kind of niche, um, kind of marketing style, when you look at all the channels, I mean, BT got about 72 channels. All right? They got BT, her. They got all these other They got all the acronyms. All the acronyms, right? So, I wonder if having a channel dedicated to HBCU sports could survive. I mean, I, you know, that's just a thought to have. I mean, I know they have some definitely some digital spaces for sure, but it's like, could, could this be something that could be revived in that way and build programming around that? Because I do think there's an appetite for people who went to HBCUs or people who understand um, what good brands of sports it is that they would want to see um, this on a regular basis, have a home where they could go and say, hey, you know what, this is where um, I can get HBCU sports and HBCU-related program. So I'm going to put it out there. Y'all, uh, you know, Puffy and all y'all, y'all funded things. Fund the HBCU channel. <laughs> I, I agree. It, 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 you know, bare minimum, you would think somebody, and it, it probably is already out there, so I don't want to say it's not, but bare minimum, BT or somebody can create, like, some sort of highlights 
Um, yes. Something, you know? But you know, it's, it's funny. I've gotten into conversations with folks at BET over the years about sports and where that fits in their, their programming schedule. And sports has been a hard road for them. Um, you know, I, I, we one thing that we definitely have to do is if we want to see it, we got to support it. And the truth mm-hmm. is, like, the reason they keep jumping in and out of sports or have left it alone entirely is because we don't support it. And um, it's been difficult for them, especially when you have a channel where they're trying to appeal to young people. They're trying to, like, literally appeal to everybody. And that's hard to do when you're in their position. So um, I would love to see, you know, that's a big reason why BT News doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Gotta support it, right? And so if you had that. And I'm guilty of that. You know, me and my friends, we I remember when people from PWIs would come to Howard Homecoming. And, like, they were, like, my sister, she came expecting to go to the game. And we were, oh. mad. we were mad chill, like, the game. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm actually kind of surprised at that. Like, <laughs> we were mad. like I, I hate to say it, but to your point, we, we have to be accountable also, too. Yeah. Like, we have, like, nothing else. I should leave five ticket. You know, it was like, you know, and put the money in the bank because the money is coming from all of us if we try to, you know, use our sources in it. Do you think, how do we keep it from being like, just like savvy, like a trend? Like shout out to Beyonce for putting that on Netflix, but we've seen these bumps in our culture. We have. How do we keep that interest up? Cause even with this, if your man gets out of there, which, you know, we're all hoping that, you know, he just goes away. How do we keep this momentum up into investing in our culture and our schools and when it comes to the sports part? I would like to think that um, we have, we understand what happens when we don't, you know, um, I think the, the election is, I'm glad you brought that up. That is a good example because of course, right now. And in the last four years, everybody's had this huge sense of urgency. They've been on fire. It's like people have been out there protesting. Mm-hmm. They've been out there organizing, doing all these things, which has laid the foundation for what the voting returns look like right now. What I would hate to see happen is as soon as this is over and there's a new regime, everybody relax. See, we made the same mistake when it came to Obama, right? Got that black president in, everybody's like, woo. Chilled out like that. Yes, yes. But forgot about the midterm elections. Forgot about and the you, midterms. And you see what happened. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same with HBCUs. Like, that's great that Homecoming is on Netflix. And um, and even with Kamala Harris being in, being in you know, being her being in office, it's like that's great that you have somebody from Howard you can point to, you know, this is what HBCUs are doing, what what they produce. But you got to keep that same energy going all the time. The work doesn't end. And I hope that we see what happens when we aren't watching the store. When we stop the work, that is when the progress stops. So they they go simultaneously. So, um, again, I would like to think that we don't want to be in this position again. And with HBCUs, it's like you don't want to constantly be going through this, oh, it's trendy, oh, it's not. Oh, you know, I remember when, remember when those hoodies were out with HBCUs? Yeah. Yeah, like, first of all, them joints was like $90. I was about to say, you... I didn't even own. I didn't own one. I can't afford that. I couldn't afford that. I couldn't afford that. Like, woo, them joints was expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Right, but um, you know, the thing is that was trendy because you know people saw Bill Cosby wearing them, and then all the rappers was wearing them, and then like in every video, it's like everybody had a hoodie. But when um, that donation tray came around, when it was time to donate, when it was was time, it was like, oh, see the way my checking and savings work. Yeah. We can't do that, right? We have to make sure that we maintain our own culture and our own institutions. Yeah, you're correct about that. But on 
on the benefit part, like, you know, there's been some, a few noises being made. Um, I think Maker, shout out to them, you know, they'll make a choice to go to, you know, HU and all these other, you'll be hearing about noise about players that are like transferring. Yeah. You heard a lot about it before COVID kicked in, you know, COVID kind of quiet a lot of things. But in your mind, you're 2025, 20, if some of these recruits, if they actually stay and it's homecoming, what is something that's going to be for them afterwards? Like, is it, are they still going to get drafted as high? Is it the D-League? D- because I'm I why I say that, because I remember Jalen Rose was talking about when he stayed an extra year, he dropped down like points in the draft. Yeah. And he was like, if you want kids to stay in school longer, you have to stop punishing them for wanting to get an education. I agree. So what would you say would be for someone postgraduate if they choose that they're a high recruit, they're a 3-5 or whatever, and they go to HBCU, what's for them afterwards? Well, I mean, what I would say is this, is that, like, um, you know, they can't – I think they always have to be playing the long game, you know. Um, that, like, you know, as he said, the you know, the NBA – I mean, and they've been doing this for a while. It's like they – they punish people who stay longer, which is weird because then all they do is complain about the lack of experience, <laughs> lack of experienced players that they have that's, to choose from. Every 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 week on TNT, that's all they talk about. Yeah, it's like, oh, they don't know anything or they're not experienced enough. I'm like, well, yeah, because they left after one year because they were afraid of what would happen when they didn't. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, it's hard to convince athletes, especially the really good ones, that – uh, to have a backup plan, to have an alternative that you want to do because they all think they're going pro and they all think they're going to be a top five pick and they all think they're going to be a lottery pick. And I think what you have to convince them is that even beyond your athletic career, you retire pretty early. Like you're in your early 30s when you, you might be done with playing. Yeah. At best, right? LeBron is going to be a freak because he probably played till he's 40. He's 35 right now, right? Yeah. He may play till he's 40. But even still, regardless, he's going to be a pretty young man. So I think the way you sell education to him is saying, like, this is going to end at some point. You can't play when you're 60, and when you retire, you're going to be still pretty young. So what what is it that you're passionate about that you can do besides this, that you want to do besides this? Um, what is your contribution other than just, you know, um, being a great athlete? And I like to think that some of them are ambitious beyond just their sport. I mean, I, I, I guess I don't want to put it, make HBCUs seem as if they don't. Some of them don't have the same sort of selfish goals that all schools do. It's like you want a winning program, you want to make a lot of money. But at least from what I've seen, not saying it's perfect by any stretch. I think the value of a black athlete going to an HBCU is that the educational mission is different. Like I don't think that there's the same emphasis on say, you know, you look at any predominantly white university and when they're showing all of their um, majors, it's like everybody got the same major because they ain't really going to class. They're just mm-hmm. kind of faking like they are. Mm-hmm. The HBCU mission feels different from an education standpoint. So to me, that's part of like what should be their sale when they're coming into homes and talking to parents. It's like you go to X university, like at Michigan State, it was, they all were majoring in kinesiology. It was like, really? It ain't that many damn people interested in kinesiology. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm only laughing because that's, that's like so true. Because it's, know, it's so true. true. It's like, you know, I, I forgot what hanging out up there. And I'm like, no, that's, that's actually true. Kin- kinesiology, you know, you see stuff like you got a, a football team of like 50 some guys and 35 of them got general studies as a major. You're like, come on now. Like, who, yeah. who are you doing? So, 
I, I say all that to say is that I think they have some advantages that they can sell to to kids about either wanting to attend HBCU CU or in some cases needing to stay a little bit longer um, because there is a lot of value in education. And especially when you look at the rates that black women graduate versus black men, I think it's really important that we emphasize this message with our black men. You know, part of their, the reason why there is a gap between the number of black women who are professionals and the number of black men even among those who had some colleges, because, you know, in the athletic world, you know, as a black woman, you got to get your degree. Your professional future is like either doesn't exist or is limited. Right. You only going to play a certain amount. So you got to get that degree. And so you have like 80 some percent of, of black female athletes who get their degrees. And when their career is over, these are another huge batch of black women out there with their degrees. Yeah, because, you know, confession time, I went to Wayne State first. I was just hanging out, you know, <laughs> like like we do, and it was becoming the I like to say the educational trap. Um, <laughs> because a lot of them brothers, shout out to them, they probably still there hanging out in the student center building. But when I went to Howard, I can say Howard saved my life. I went to Howard during the Bush Junior era, and when Bush Junior said something stupid, the big difference I tell someone between the PWI and HBCU. When I walked into my math class at the PWI, when Bush Junior said something stupid. We talked about math. When I was at Howard and I walked into my math class and Bush Junior said something stupid, my math teacher came in like, "Let me, did y'all see what happened last night? Da, 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 da. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking and, about. And I, and I tell my friends, like, when you're talking to somebody younger, you want to talk about the black college experience, you know, tell the stuff that's not on paper. Tell them about the lady that called me and was like, Mr. Hall, you have a $35 balance. You're not going to graduate. You, you got to compare it right now. And I brought her flowers the next day. You know, tell mm -hmm. those stories about how, like, you know, even postgraduate, how you and I met. I went to NABJ conference, and my Howard friends put together a pot for me because the opportunity came up so last minute. I couldn't just go like that. And they was like, nah, you're going. You understand? And so, like, that everlasting love that you got that's not written aside the brochure that I don't think gets exposed enough. That's, um, I mean, I think that's like, those are like great points and great anecdotes to share because, you know, I wouldn't change necessarily going to Michigan State, but as any black person who goes to a predominantly white school knows, there are levels of microaggressions and macroaggressions you face all the time. And, you know, when you, I mean, I started getting, um, you know, death threats and uh, hate mail when I was in college, working for the college newspaper, the state news, it started there. And it was at Michigan State that I realized how truly racist of a country that we live in. And when you're a black student and you are surrounded by people who do not look like you, that's a certain trauma in itself. And, you know, you find, of course, your black network and, you know, how on these campuses and on the black student, you have your black student alliances and, you know, whatever. And I say they don't need those at HBCUs, but hell, going to school at an HBCU is the Black Student Alliance. And so, <laughs> especially, look, I was on campus when the OJ verdict came down, and I can't even tell you what that day was like. You know, it's like, I can only imagine, I know if I'm on a Black campus and I go down, it's going to hit a little differently. Okay? Than being on a white campus where I'm like, should I go to school today? Like, what? Well, technically at that moment, one of my high schools, because you know I went to three because I was testing my mother's love. My first high school was majority white. And I was there when the OJ Verdict dropped too. And it was a different feeling. 
It was a different feeling. We all somehow dropped our percentages and our grade point average because we celebrated too much. <laughs> and they got the last laugh at that school. Hence why I ended up being going to the next two schools. So See I, what I'm saying? You are definitely correct about that. And to what you said about the treatment of black women, because even then, back when my sister stayed at home um, on MSU's campus, there were a couple times where I had to go up there on the Tuesday. You know, because somebody wanted to try her seven mildness and she wasn't going to back down off that. But I had to just come there and just be present, you know, right. because it just was, to let them know. Yeah, because yeah. It, was, it was it was some feeling in that, you know. But the thing about also the HBCUs can't seem to or the most complaint that I've read that a lot of athletes create is the facilities. They always yeah. think that the HBCUs or I mean, and, and there's some truth to that. They go to a facility yes, at a black college and they. I mean, listen, that gym at Michigan State is immaculate, okay? <laughs> it's like, it's not, you can't, it's not the same. So how do you stress that appeal to have them see over that? Because as an athlete, even if you are the purest, you want to com- you want to compete the best, and you need the best yeah. to compete with. I think, honestly, that's kind of a really significant hurdle at um, a lot of HBCUs. It's like they just don't have the facilities. Now, everybody can't be Oregon. People in, you know, people at PWIs can't be Oregon. You know, Oregon... They got stuff that look like, you know, it's the future. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's just, that's just ridiculous. But when you have Nike right there, you know, and Phil Knight is a big Oregon supporter, that works. And so that's where I think the wider community network is important. Um, you know, I understand when guys want to give back to their schools. Um, we've seen a number of athletes build weight rooms for their schools and all that. And I'm not trying to, um, criticize them for doing that. I understand when you have your fondest memories at some place, you feel an emotional connection. I would love to see them give that same kind of money to an HBCU to build up their weight rooms, to build up some of their facilities. Because the reality is, like, I know Honey Badger gave a ton of money to uh, LSU. LSU going to be all right, whether he get the money or not. Well, he'll be all right. Well, you know? I mean, Draymond Green, I think he, he might have done a weight room, I think, at Michigan State. Michigan State will be just fine. Would love to see some of that money be redirected so that, yeah, I know you may not have gone there and that might be not be your school. I understand that. But again, as black people, we always have to be community minded because that's really the only way we will continue to survive and thrive. Um, so I would love to see you know, um, just and not just among celebrities, but and just everyday professionals, because in talking to to people who work at HBCUs, who gone to, who have gone to HBCUs, a real challenge is fundraising. That is a real challenge. And so if you're going to come to homecoming every year, if you're going to, you know, be out there with your Howard sweatshirt on and your HBCU stuff on repping and all that, I'm going to need you to rep for ten dollars in that collection plate. All right, I'm gonna need you to do that because if you're gonna come there and party in DC every year, you'll blow 500 in a weekend and probably more easy. You and Randy Jackson, <laughs> see what I'm saying? I was like, easy. So, could you give a hundred or so to fundraising? All right, because it's really important that we maintain these traditions. Because you know, I, I don't know if people realize this is that. Uh, I know there was a lot of talk, the um, the occupant in the White House, like used to say all the time, that he saved HBCUs, which he did not, which was a lie. But, you know, one of the reasons, of the many reasons why it was important to get him out of office is because of his attack 
of uh, on critical race theory and wanting to ban this from federally funded institutions. Well, guess what's a federally funded institution? Speak HBCUs. Speak on it. So I'm just telling you mm-hmm. is that you, uh, this is why we have to make sure we protect HBCUs at all costs. And that some of that responsibility lies on us. Um, you know, I, even though uh, I, I realize Michigan State has a, has a, you know, nice endowment, a lot of money, um, you know, my contributions to Michigan State are very specific. You know, mm-hmm. the, the student chapter of the NABJ is really the one that I have focused on because NABJ student chapter did not exist when I went to school there. And so I think that's important. And it's a way to, um, yeah, it started long after I was there. And oh, we, really? Yeah, it didn't exist when I was there. And, and in fact, the Michigan State student chapter is up for chapter of the year. And so that's where I have directed my investment because they don't need no more of my money. But those black students that are at Michigan State, they do. You know, that's important that you even say that. Like when you think about Hampton and Grambling and FAMU, Texas Southern, what would they do if they had a fraction of what University of Florida University of Alabama or anybody yeah. from SEC, what would they do with a fraction of that bread? Yeah, I mean, Howard, I think, of all HBCUs, I'm assuming Howard might have the highest endowment, right? But and, it's not much. and it's not much. Not when you mm-hmm. compare, we start comparing it to like Harvard and all these other things. Like, ooh, <laughs> you're like, ooh, Howard, y'all some broke boys. <laughs> it's like, it is something. Right? But you're right. I mean, people have to understand that like Alabama and Texas, which I think are the two highest generating athletic departments in the country. They're they're getting they're they're doing numbers of two hundred million a year, and that's not to say I don't know if HBCUs are necessarily set up to do those kind of numbers, but you know an, another reason uh, why athletes and, and really I, I should back up and say this it's not all you know it's not necessarily on the athletes it's also on the parents because there's a lot of parents who don't really know the history of HBCUs as well. And, you know, a lot of those influences come from there. Like when I, you know, some of the kids that I talked to in that story that I did for the Atlantic, they talked a lot about how their parents talked about it, about at least, you know, um, considering the HBCU, putting the HBCU on the list, looking into it. Um, because I, I think some of it was that they knew the history. And the other part is because of the climate the last four years, frankly, there was a measure of safety in having their children in an HBCU environment. So, um yeah, I would say the parents have a lot to do with framing what we think of HBCUs. Um, and our, you know, in our community, we do have to check ourselves because I've certainly heard conversations where people have either flat out said or indicated from an educational standpoint or from other standpoints that they just weren't as good or they were somehow low rent. And I'm like, all right, if it was good enough for Martin Luther King Jr., <laughs> I'm saying, if yeah. it's good enough for Kamala Harris, uh, I think you'll be able to survive. <laughs> what is that thing that whiteness has more value? I mean, oh, yeah. you know, you know, up in white, white man's ice is colder. Yeah, we, we, we know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Growing up in Detroit, especially during our area, you know, Detroit was extremely segregated. Yes. And so you take, I grew up on 12th and between 12th and Woodrow Wilson. There was a farmer jack right down the street and they had just named it Rosa Park Boulevard. So that was her neighborhood at the time when she was alive. My mother would drive all the way to Sterling Heights, where Oklahoma is, to go to this, to go to a farmer jack. Not like a Kroger's with the S, but to a farmer jack, right? And I'm like, mom, there's a farmer jack literally five blocks down from us but to her own admission she admitted years later she felt that if she wanted something of quality she had to go outside of the city 
Yeah. Now, in, in a weird way, she wasn't entirely wrong because... No, because it was Cross Street, but go ahead. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Only because I was going to say there is definitely evidence that at big chains and when they're in neighborhood in black neighborhoods that they put lower quality meat and lower quality foods in our neighborhoods on purpose. So she wasn't entirely wrong, but the mentality nevertheless is something that we certainly have adopted part of the uh, internalized depression that we have. It's like, you know, it's something that I think I've become really, really mindful of in the last 10 years of not being harder on, on black people than I would on other folks. Yes. Um, I mean, cause we do that with black businesses. Like this idea that black people don't support black businesses is just a lie. Yes. Um, we sub- over support a lot of black businesses, but I think what happens is that, you know, we feel like if, if every black business doesn't become, you know, Viacom, then it's like, y'all ain't supporting. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're supporting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then especially now, I think we go out of our way, especially now because we see how critical it is to support, you know, black businesses because of the whole pandemic situation. You know, I'm so glad that that Post uh, Postmates had an entire category for black-owned businesses because I swear to God, for like a good three weeks straight, it was like nothing but black businesses I was ordering from. That's all that was saying guilty yeah that was it <laughs> and the only reason i got off of it because we moved in we had moved in the house our kitchen was being done so we had to order uh postmates and then when our kitchen was done we actually started cooking so <laughs> that was the only reason why i stopped <laughs> i appreciate you um for even having this topic and taking this time because it's very important you know people like charles oakley doug williams um mm. wilma, wilma rudolph yeah um, the only Chicago Bear I cheer for sweetness, Walter Payton, all of the yeah. black colleagues, Jerry Rogers, my mother's, um, you know, hero, Thea Gibson, all of those individuals came from there. So there's greatness in that. And for you to be a Spartan, and I don't even think people understand, I love um, MSU as far as sports, but I don't think they understand where you come from, come from that space. It is a very white, small, like, like the black people, it, it can seem like it's a lot of black people, but it's really but not. it's really not a lot. Of, I mean, you so talk about a university yeah. is forty thousand students, right? I think when I was going there, it might have been like twenty five hundred of us, three thousand maybe out of forty thousand. Like when we had the parties, it seemed like it's a lot of us. Then you go to class, right? You in a three hundred person class, and you're like, I'm the only black person in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just want to thank you for that time because you know you could like I, like Jay Z said you could have been anywhere in the world but you chose to be here but this is important so you know thank you for that much uh, I almost feel guilty about finishing these up when I get you off you do not this. feel guilty no yeah. I do not you know no, I do but not. I will say this hold up see you know what since you want to stun on people what since you want to stun on people what let me just say, look it's all I have <laughs> I, I keep I keep one loaded in the clip as they say let me open my pantry here ladies and gentlemen. Please. Since you want to stun on people. This, this, this <laughs> has been fun. Um, <laughs> See, y'all don't know about that. Y'all know about them better make uh, hot corn chips. Y'all know about that. That's, that's, that's a different that's level a, for y'all. That's, that's, a, that's a Coney Island story that you and I need to have a conversation about later. <laughs> you got a Coney Island story? Oh, I got plenty of Coney Island stories. Yeah, Who does yeah. it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what that remind me of. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate you, and thank you for your, your knowledge. Thank you on a personal note for, you know what I mean, assisting me in this conversation. Um, no, and thank you for having me. You know you the homie, and I apologize for my tardiness, everybody. Shout out to my man, Michael Eric Dyson. I saw him up in here. Oh, um, my hero. That's another yeah. Detroit legend right there. Yeah, um, another I, Detroit legend up in here. So shout out to you. Thank you for uh, listening to us just, like, kind of kick it or whatever. Um, by the way, what was your Coney Island? I'm just curious. What was my Coney Island? You yeah. Know, right there on, on, on 8 Mile. The one they used to call... <laughs> 
such and such. I can't. Like, I don't know if a lot of things are up yet. Uh, okay. There was there was a long time where I couldn't go in Rams horn for a long time. Hold up, not Rams. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't go for a long time because somehow a window was missing. Listen, I live a different life, but I'm 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 a prime example of when you give someone opportunity in time, they can grow into an individual like myself. You're like right. And not want to hide your opportunity. But that was a different TJ's. TJ's on Lake Mile. You remember TJ's? TJ's, yes, yeah. I do. Oh my God, I was six mile Wyoming was mine. <laughs> Woo, six mile Wyoming. Yeah. My my best friend just told me she met a guy on Bumble who tried to take her to a date there. She said no, thank you. <laughs> so that one is still existing. No lie. Wow. I'm not gonna call her name out because she's watching this right now. But the six mile <laughs> Wyoming one, she ended up um, she was like no, thank you. Damn. Yeah. And hopefully he didn't have a coupon. <laughs> That's bad. The grease is horrible though. The greases, the greases was yeah. going to kill you. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it's so um, good. But thank you. Please give my best, you know, as usual to Miss Carter, Miss we'll Woods. Do. You know what I mean? And you have a, a joyful day and time. And hopefully by the time we get off on this, the election thing will be over, over. And we can relax. <laughs> well, hopefully. All right. Take care, man. Thank you. You too. Mm-hmm.